The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. We're kinky, done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to the show. And a quick word as we start today's show. A quick word as we finish tonight's show. We're doing a fundraiser for the show to allow yours truly to get out and network and do some live interviews as we head to the end of 2022. This will include my opportunity to teach my kindness and authenticity classes as well. The spots you hear on the show are all freely given to people who have been guests on the show to promote their efforts. We have not generated ad revenue because I've always pictured this project to be a labor of love. But sadly, over the last few months of this year, I've hit a rough patch where all the money that I had saved to go to these conferences was put towards unexpected bills from a pair of freak car accidents where I was unexpectedly hit. I mention this because I want you to know that when I ask for your support, it's a genuine ask, and I appreciate the people who have donated already. You can do so as easily as visiting bit.ly slash catsuitcon, short for catsuit conferences. Yes, I get the irony. bit.ly slash catsuitcon, C-A-T-S-U-I-T-C-O-N, to help out. Next week on the show, from the world of professional wrestling to the land of OnlyFans, Solo Darling's journey has been filled with challenges she didn't deserve and triumphs she fought to achieve. Now on to the show. As some of you know, I used to be in the world of professional wrestling, and in spite of my affinity for spandex, I was not a wrestler. I got to work with some pretty famous ones and have always been a fan. Not too long ago, I was traveling the YouTube wrestling rabbit hole when I discovered a woman who was on the independent circuit and Ring of Honor, who seemingly was playing the character of a squirrel hopped up on sugar and Slurpees. Her name, Solo Darling, and she immediately captivated me with her free spirit and talent in the ring. She's taken on many people that you know if you're a fan, like Shayna Baszler, Chris Statlander, Penelope Ford, and even men like current NXT star Josh Briggs. Her star was rising in the independent scene, then just as suddenly, she disappeared. 
I've always wondered what happened to this amazing personality when I discovered she had taken the time of COVID to reinvent herself into a stunning OnlyFans model. I never knew the story of why, but it turns out that standing up for herself to the men in charge of pro wrestling is a surefire way to find yourself on the outside looking in. In this incredible interview, we meet this wonderful woman whose next venture is to help others understand their own authenticity. We share some personal moments in the next nearly 90 minutes, and I think you will find that they are powerful and inspirational to those who desire to truly be seen. The incredible solo darling on what women and other wonderful humans want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you ever stepped into a ring and your emotions when you did it. First time I stepped into a ring uh, would have been August of 2008. I I have to think if there was any time before that, like if I went to the school prior or anything like that, but that's, that's when I mark when I started training. Um, it, it all felt really surreal. I was with my partner at the time. It's like we were doing it together. And there were so many memories at that school from, you know, prior people that had been signed or, you know, things that you hear, right? Like this is the school where so-and-so went. And so you kind of have a little bit of like, oh, these people walked through these halls or these people were in this locker room or try to feel any energy that's around it. And of course it's inevitable, right? The same kind of electricity you'd feel when you walk out and you're in your sparkly spandex <laughs> and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm doing this. And you get that electricity, that vibration through the crowd. It's, it's quite similar in a more serene way in the silence. I always liked getting to training early not just because they tell you to go early, <laughs> because if you're on time, you're late, right? Like that was mm-hmm. always, if you're on time, you're late. Everybody's doing suicides and uh, squats and, you know, uh, calisthenics. Uh, this was back then when it was like a lot of blow up drills. Uh, there was something in the peace of it all, that even in the silence, it was, it was like being in a house that had been crafted centuries ago, where you go mm-hmm. to, a famous writer's house and you're like walking through the rooms. It has that feel of it, that story within it from the canvas and the ropes. And you don't have to know everything that happened there, but it's alive in its silence. First time you put on your squirrel tail. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) I had the ears, I was playing with the ears after a Comic-Con. I don't quite remember what year it is. And I talked about this with Wolf because the tales, we were trying to see if it was like at the same time and opposite ends of the world. And then I had the tale shortly after. It was one of those like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll wear it out there. And then they were like, well, what about this? And I'm like, what if I wore a tail? And it was just this like random conversation kind of escalated with a friend of mine so it would have been 
once I was in Florida. And that would have been 2013, 2011 to 2013. Somewhere mm-hmm. in there is when I started. It gets a little fuzzy. 2014, I had a concussion. So it's a little blurry, but I want to say it's around there. <laughs> Do you know the date? I don't. <laughs> a lot of people know. I was like, oh, there he goes. I just remember the first time I saw you in there and I went, oh my gosh, she's so cute and just vibrant and happy. And one of those characters that you can't take your eye off of because you're going to wonder what's going to happen next. And it was so much much. fun. Yeah. And it will lead to my next question, which I think very deeply about. When was the first time you went from cute to beautiful? There was a moment. I, I, you know, I, the squirrel character to me is, is so close, right? It came from my childhood. It was a development in the face of the struggles that we all have. It was to help, to show that even when it's hard and nobody knows what I'm going through, I'll show up and I'll bring this neon character uh, right, right at your door. And I wanted her to go places. I wanted this, this crafted squirrel love of mine to take the Slurpee to the main event. It's inevitable you want that, even if you, know, you, you don't necessarily want a title or everyone has those dreams. But it was just something about moving around the card and learning what each match gives to an ensemble right so each match has its own importance and I wanted to feel and understand and learn how to be a main eventer and how to be a semi-main I wanted to have all those experiences and be as versatile as possible and that doesn't mean I didn't love being first match because then I could just (laughs) go go wild in the first match I just wanted to feel it so I I would always ask questions on how to develop her further Uh, I made no assumption that I knew how to do that. And I looked for people that were in the main event and that had had titles and that took their character or took their persona and magnified it. I said, how do I evolve her? No one had an answer. No one helped. And it's not to say they didn't want to. I don't think they knew how either because she had her time. And there, and I had been searching for a while. And then all of a sudden in the shimmer locker room, Soraya gave me advice because I was starting to play with the covers and the gear. I was starting to evolve the gear around it because I didn't know how else to move it. So I thought I'd dress a bit older. I'd make her, you know, a little season five-ish as opposed to season one. And uh, I base everything off of sitcoms. So just heads mm-hmm. up. <laughs> So I started moving stuff around and then I I was playing with kick pad covers as opposed to the fur. And Soraya made note of that. And she had said something like, it's about time. Not that anything was wrong with her or anything. It was just, she had to grow up a bit. And she had given me some advice as to what looks like, what she thinks looks good for like, this is your body type. Like this type of gear would flatter you. And that would flatter you. And anytime Soraya had a minute, right? That's a, I mean, time is valuable. <laughs> time is our non-renewable resource. 
it just, I would immediately do it. There was just, there's something about her and her knowledge that she has and all her experience. So I immediately was like, yep, you're right. No more fur. And I started the evolution there. And I think that's when it allowed the squirrel girl to grow a little bit. Uh, when I moved to Chikara, it was, uh, he wanted to see me with, Mike wanted to see me without the tail. And he was like, you've, you have been Batman, right? You've had all your accessories. <laughs> the lollipop that I didn't get to fully actualize, the drink, the bit, you know, like you've had all the accessories, the tail, everything, but let him see you without it. What happens when you don't have those? What can you do? And I was like, oh, I could do lots of stuff. I just love the accessories. Like who doesn't love Batman? <laughs> and he was like, don't do it. And so then I created a way, a way for her to not go away, but the tail was cut. So it's left open-ended. I love mm -hmm. a good to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with who Soraya is, I happen to know who she is. Tell us a little bit more about her. Soraya Nye is a, a teacher, a professional wrestler, a mother, a sister. She has a training school out in Europe. She's been all over the world and she's mentored many of us women at Shimmer. She's been counseled to us and guided us through many of our growth spurts in such a tough industry that is quite male dominated of professional wrestling. And with such a massively busy schedule, uh, she still makes time to make sure that all of us get a little bit with her uh, to make sure we're good. And that to me is, that's just so special. First time you looked in the mirror and said, maybe I can do this OnlyFans thing. That's a convincing a little. I, um, my, my friend Rob Naylor would, as soon as it started OnlyFans, as soon as it not even got out there, right? Like before it was even out there and it was just kind of like murmurs. He's like, Hey, there's this thing you should do it. Cause he's known me forever and how I am proud of my sexuality. And I'm just, you know, I just get to know myself and I cut myself some slack and all that. And he just kept at it and things were changing in wrestling and things were changing in the world. And I was doing Patreon, but I was, I was not great at it. And I thank all of my supporters who, have, who rode the Patreon train with me. Thank you. No idea how much it means to me. Um, but here's my chance to tell you, it meant a lot. <laughs> and I just, it was around the time, right before I started the OnlyFans, November of 2020. So about three months before or so, I started to be like, all right, I'll do it. And then within that year, I was like, yeah, I can do it. I don't have, like, I always thought it was one thing. I thought it was, and I thought that's impossible for an internet platform like that, a content platform to just be the one thing. I, there has to be other things. And then I thought, oh my God, I'll do it. Because if it is one thing, I'll be the one other thing that's different, which obviously I know that's an extreme, but I was like, there's gotta be more people that, but at the time I was like, yeah, I'll just be the different. <laughs> So I went for it. We are around an anniversary of you coming out. 
the first time you realized that it was time to come out? The first time I realized it was time to come out. It was around this time. I, it was around this time, yeah. Kind of leading up to it, I took about a month or so, a couple weeks to be like, all right, what do I want to do? Do I want to do it? I usually act pretty fast and just kind of be like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'll write something or I'll, I'll post something and then I plan it out a little bit, but it felt like it was okay. Or like I, like I was a part of it. <laughs> was it a weight <laughs> off your shoulders? Yeah, I, it can be uh, difficult for me. I wasn't really sure. I didn't, you know, feeling like I didn't quite fit in LGBT groups and I, I didn't really have much, like I wasn't in, in Philly per se specifically or like around a ton of it. And even though my friends are part of the community, it was almost like I, you know, I'd never done a pride or even been to a pride with other people that I'm friends with in the community. So like, I never really had that experience. And because um, I'm, I've date men, even though I've dated some women, it kind of would get blanketed over. So I didn't really feel like part of any group. <laughs> so I didn't know I was allowed to come to the party, even though I'm a part of the group. <laughs> when we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, we will look into the journey of Solo Darling and talk about some things that she might not have talked about before when we return. Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports, no, not the jet ski kind, and you really want to fulfill their fantasy but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. 
Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to the show, joined by Solo Darling, who just gave me uh, two tickets to the gun show while she <laughs> was stretching during the break. I sat at a stretch here, so I was yeah. ready for uh, what's next. <laughs> Pro wrestler and empathy activist. That's the one mm-hmm. thing I really got from your social media and honestly from your original pro wrestling character. It seems like you genuinely care about the world around you. I do. I do. I I firmly believe that the development of empathy uh, it is not something that we either have or don't. It is innate within all of us at different levels in a gradient based on history, intergenerational traumas or various other things that are intergenerational that are passed down. It's nurture, it's our nature. And it's also what we learn around us and how we experience the world around us that can kind of create that path. That's why we're all so unique. And that's why we all find people that are like us. And with empathy, the more I study it, it's, it's still very new. It was always uh, misinterpreted for sympathy, which is, is not the same thing. And is also confused with being an empath, which I also am <laughs> difficult, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is, is just embodying the experience where I can feel what you feel. But to, to empathize with someone is also giving space for someone, crafting an environment for someone to allow them to fill it. Empathy is not just like an act or going, I understand what you're going through. I've gone through it as well. It's deeper and it could be done in every love language. And it's a skill. It's a skill that I'm learning through psychology that has real empirical research done on it that can be developed. There are also much like people who uh, like sociopaths right on the, on one end of the scale that don't have empathy for say, right? They have it in there. Something's not connecting in the neurotransmitters to allow that to emit. So they, they don't emit empathy mm-hmm. or feel it. There are also extreme empathists where people will donate a kidney to strangers mm. and then go running up Mount Everest. I, I heard some incredible stories on TED Talks of people that are on the other side of the scale, but with practice and with things like we already know in school for other skills of kindness and fairness or uh, discernment, if we were to incorporate that with mindfulness, that would grow and compassion. 
I firmly believe is what can help tackle fear and isolation and depression, loneliness, those types of things. Uh, so that's kind of my mission. I had a defining moment when I knew what I was going to be for the rest of my life, being the kind, empathetic person that I tend to be. And that was my mom's funeral. Uh, to look out over the audience and to see people who made headlines in newspapers sitting next to grocery checkers from Piggly Wiggly or a security guard or a housekeeper or a four-star general or the grandchildren of a president of the United States, all in the same audience because my mom was kind to everyone. Did you have a defining moment where you realized this is my path, this is what I'm going to be? I actually fought it for a long time. Just I didn't understand how to share it. Um, I was born very aware and very empathetic and so I have all the thanks in the world to my mom for recognizing that. And, and she's also an empath and, an, and a very empathetic, very compassionate person. I, I was very fortunate and I'm very fortunate to have her as my best friend to have guided me with how to manage, how to understand what that is like. And when I was little, she'd always tell me I should go into psychology or be a teacher. And I was like, no, <laughs> I fought it so hard. No, I want to be a musician and an actor. That's what I wanted to be, a musician and actor. I don't know how to make that work. I, don't, I didn't understand how that was some, like how to make it bigger. And then when COVID really kicked off and speaking out kicked off and I, when everything is loud, I get very quiet, which is something because I tend to talk. <laughs> and I just, I just watched, I just watched what would happen in a moment of chaos in our small niche community of wrestling and then larger for other communities experiencing speaking out moments, me too. All of it all together with COVID on top, just kind of raining. And I saw people helping in certain ways. And I wondered why no one was helping each other. And it was, it was misunderstood by some and that's okay. Um, for that's where I learned how to better communicate. I received a lot of positive feedback for going on lives and trying to reach out to people. But in times like that, I wanted people to see that absolutely we must care for, find resources for, nurture, help, assist all those that have survived. But also by the same token to prevent those things from happening any further those that have committed transgressions need resources and need help and they need to stop hurting. They have to want it, right? You have to want that growth. So that's not something I can and just go like you. Uh, hmm. But if someone reaches out and they don't want to do those things, then how can I not extend 
that energy for that would prevent anyone else from getting hurt again, right? And that, that cycle ends. So to break those patterns of behavior, it works all around. And then it just made sense. And as soon as that was where I was at, I looked for the best schools that had positive psychology. Not to say I didn't want to study just psychology as a whole, but I needed to study positive psychology, which is the balance for everything we have studied in the past. Psychology as a whole is what's wrong with us? But I wanted to know what's right with us. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go to UPenn. I wrote my whole admissions letter about wrestling and speaking out. And they called me within two days. Uh, and I started the program that's going to lead me into their master's program for positive psychology. And that way I can study cognitive behavioral therapy and kind of be a better resource for people that say that want to be vulnerable and they want to give, but that fear is so crippling. Um, If this was a superhero situation, empathy activists would have its arch nemesis fear. The best way I, (laughs) I try to explain like, yeah, I just, I just think it's there. I think there's something there. I totally understand that. I understand that when fear takes over, especially for me, when the lack of hope is there, it becomes very difficult to, and I've said this is my biggest challenge. I've had so many people say so many beautiful and nice things about me and so many amazingly loving things about me. Then why in the hell is it so hard for me to believe it? Because we've, we've gotten through all these times where it's like, it's not the negative psychology. It's like I have therapists and I, I share a lot on my podcast and uh, I'm glad my listeners allow me to do that. But um, I've had three therapists who all said to me, John, you're the most unselfish person we've ever met. And we don't know how to help you take care of yourself. And when I see what you have done with your life from the ring, the music early, and you expressing yourself in this new way, you're fearless to me because Sola, I'm just going to be very blunt. When I, I've followed your career and I've, I've, saw most everything I saw on YouTube. And then I saw your Instagram and your OnlyFans, what I would call persona. And I'm going, how did this amazingly beautiful person come from this cute little character? It is though you literally grew and blossomed into this woman that was so unexpected, especially since I was used to seeing you as a cute blonde with a tail. And I know there's not a question in there, but it's an observation that you have transformed yourself and you're using the lessons of that transformation to help others. And that's a beautiful thing. Thank you for seeing me. It's been a long time. 
and I really needed that. And I can say the same for you. One thing I learned through all of this is to be able to love others the way I want to, the way I know I'm capable of, the strength I gained from experiences, the way diamonds are made, not through the nice ones. I wasn't gonna get there if I didn't get with myself the way I was before wrestling reached me. Once I walked through those doors of OVW in 2008, my life was changed. I learned troubles and struggles that no one should have to learn. And I wasn't gonna leave that business knowing that was around. So to grow, I tried to find an in with myself. I knew who I was before all of it. I had my mind strong. I was creative. I've written all my life freestyle poetry that I hid. <laughs> I played the drums for almost 18 years. I did illustration. Where did all that go with wrestling? And I realized I'd stopped loving myself. I hid it to protect me from I don't know, right? And then I saw my mom who's given everything to me and I just want her around forever. I just want her to see how beautiful she is. And I thought, my God, she must think the same thing about me. She must wonder why I pluck and tweeze and squeeze and whatever it is to jam myself into superhero pajamas. And she's just waiting for me to see me like she sees me. And I'm never gonna get to that magnitude that she's at if I pick at myself. So I studied more. I studied more in yoga as well over the years. And I, I started to change how I talk to myself before everything. Even if I had to use someone else's voice at first, take whoever you like. It could be like a fantasy and it could be super sexy for you or it could be like your best friend or you could put a voice on your animals, whatever it is to give you an in. And then I, and then it just snowballed. I look back at pictures when I was the squirrel and I, I remember how hard I was on myself. I was so critical and obviously there was intel as well like I was trying to be this thing I was told to be and it wasn't fitting quite right and two piece one piece there are so many things there right to be in showbiz and I look back and I wish I, I, I had this moment of like not regret but like sadness she was gorgeous but there's no was I'm still here and in that moment of just looking at myself from way back when and knowing how hard I worked. I was like, it's about damn time. I give myself some credit. If I don't do it now, where am I gonna be? And, and it's not easy. It's just easier said than done. And it's a, it's a lifelong journey, but that's kind of why we're here. Mm -hmm. 
we are unique in all the world. Whatever our stances are, we're gonna be the best at being us, no one else. And I wanna know what the ultimate version of myself is out of respect and honor for my mom, for my ancestors, for those around me that have supported me, for myself, for getting up after every time I have been knocked on my ass. There is a freedom and elation that comes with that. And you deserve it. Can you explain to our listeners, many of whom from the fetish and kink world are seen as objects? You look at a fetish model and you're immediately drawn to what they portray, but inside their authentic selves, they're a human just like us. They're a strong human just like us. And I, in my classes, when I teach kindness and authenticity, I talk so much about the mirror view which is what we see of ourselves, which is always distorted because it's the opposite. Because we don't see ourselves in the camera view, which is what everybody else sees. The natural mm -hmm. person that we are. So talk to me a little bit about in this world of pro wrestling, when it's, you think it might be glamorous to be a, a woman wrestler going out there many times in uh, different women wrestlers going out in different outfits. They go out in different personas and people see them in the persona, but don't realize what is inside them. And then the world around you, you talked about the speaking out movement, which was basically pro wrestling's version of me too. And having to worry about all that. I know I'm lumping a whole bunch of things into this, but tell us what that mood was like. Tell us what that aura was like to have to survive through those times. There, I, I, I gave a lot of space for wrestling. Not because, well, I, I did it because I went in without expectation. I understood the nature of people to objectify. I was, I was very little when I learned bandwidth is not the same and not everyone is gonna go inside themselves. Not everyone is going to look at each other the way I will and the way maybe someone to the left of me does, right? We'll all have our own lenses to look through. So I tried to lead with compassion in it. So there are periods throughout my career that while I would just allow for it, even though it doesn't feel great, <laughs> right? There's a level of like, thank you for, you know, thank you for seeing this. I appreciate the admiration or I appreciate that. 
um, but the objectification without understanding that I don't actually talk like a Muppet as Squirrel Girl, as a sugar creature. I was actually in my senior year in chemistry and sports mm -hmm. medicine as a dual degree. Like I speak two languages. Like, like there was like this depth to me that I, I understood was not gonna be seen. And it was just taxing. It becomes taxing. And I needed to learn quickly, which everyone has their own pace, but I needed to learn how to not take it personally. Because after a time, providing that compassion is like, oh, they're just, you know, they're watching or they're not, of course, they're not going to like look into us and things like that and try to keep it at a very non-personal thing. Feels like it becomes personal because we're putting our bodies on the line and then things are getting said about us or projected onto us or we're being assumed we are a certain way without anyone asking. And then fast forward through many episodes of my life going through compassion burnout, right? just burning out and bottoming out from trying to provide that space uh, and then recoiling and providing for myself to regenerate. And that's kind of the cycle of how it gets drained because you become the object without a voice. And it is unfortunate that I have learned what it is like to be voiceless through many different facets of who I am. It doesn't stop me. I'll still try. Someone might hear it. <laughs> But going through speaking out really, really shed light onto the nature of people and how rampant fear is in a Peter Pan industry. And by that, I mean, we all go to Neverland and there is a point where many don't develop that extra bit of emotional maturity. And it isn't to say anything negative. It's just to say that there's like the clock stops. Right? We love Peter Pan, but we go to Neverland and the clock stops. And we're out there and we are our personas. We, we are, we become our personas. Language is important. So those wires get crossed and there's like a lack of and I think that over time that fear grows and then with a new world and a new way of things and seeing how vicious it was for any amount of reason, it was just vicious. It was just very disheartening, but I wasn't afraid. I watched everyone around me be afraid because to me, it's an online platform. Okay. You're going to say something about me. You haven't asked me. And then when you do, if I say something, you're just going to turn it around because you are in a place where you would like to say something negative to tear someone down. That is not new to me. That's just unfortunate for you that you felt you needed to tear people down online where you don't even know them to those that participated in the extra negative energy and then watching people that we're all friends all of a sudden denounce each other out of fear and part ways even when nothing was happening and the seas just kind of kept parting and parting and parting and eventually it's just a drought there's a lack of nuance when you only have 140 characters and we are not 140 characters i can't stress enough how we are 
so much deeper and so much more nuanced and so complicated, even in, even in our most simplistic selves. That there is more to us than we did a thing. There's a reason, there's a cause, there's most likely trauma behind it. There is, can't you remember the last time you had done something that you're not proud of and you wish you could do better? You wish somebody would have just taken your hand. It doesn't matter if they scold you, but don't leave me out there. It's like everyone forgot what compassion was or that they had done anything wrong ever in their life. So the, the vast sea of things within those transgressions, right? There were some very extreme cases. And then there were also some that just seemed for clout. And that kind of toxic environment maybe needed that light but that is not the way that I found would be beneficial because taking it to a crowd on Twitter doesn't help anyone because in serious cases where, where legal action needed to be present or further investigation or something for the safety of those people involved, well, now it's just out there. So nothing is done about it. And posting a tweet that you've done something or deleted somebody doesn't actually delete them. It doesn't change anything. Nothing is moved to actually change something. People have to be involved with each other. It's not on a screen. It's through it. Right? If a code of conduct is made, guess what? If people are struggling with mental health issues or if they're suffering with addiction or if they're suffering with anything, they're not gonna put it on that form. They're gonna be afraid. So now we have vilified what it is to be human, which is to be flawed. We are here to make mistakes. Those mistakes are to help evolve us. If we take nothing from the mistakes and we just continue living that life, we've chosen that, it's not optimal and things will happen. There will be consequences for that, but it has to be that. We're human beings, we deserve a full story arc. I didn't understand how in a world of people that tell stories for a living in your eight to 10, your 20 to 25, your hour Ironman matches in a business built to tell stories. It is a complete thing. It is a complete arc. How is it that so many believe that the story arc just ends because we said that person's gone? They, there is a redemption, right? There's a comeback. There's a life. People have to wake up in the morning or they do, they get to. We use all those languages, <laughs> all those variations of getting up in the morning. They're all important. The have to get up, the I get to get up, all the in-betweens, those are important. Navigating it was the most difficult thing I have done because it seemed like I and a few of my friends not in wrestling were the only ones that saw that we didn't have to be afraid or running or leaving each other's side. Where is loyalty in that? And when I say loyalty, I'm just gonna take that quick, take that quick one. My loyalty is not blind. I choose because when I see you, 
I see the complete person, all that I don't know, all that I know, all that you will be. You are all of it. And you deserve the space, the grace, and the freedom to be accepted. I choose to be loyal to you. Knowing all of that, none of us are perfect. We deserve love, all of us. So when I tell somebody, I got you, I mean it, and I keep my word. And I watched 90%, I'd say, not keep any words. And I couldn't believe it. Sad. At some point, we forgot meaning the world forgot that helping people rise up is a hell of a lot better than tearing them down. Yeah. And when you talk about the role of men and women or people who do not have a gender identity, to not communicate and understand each other where the actions of many men betray the hopes of the few, where women can not trust when all they want to do is trust. And to me, And maybe it's because I'm so darn old. I remembered when gentlemen were gentlemen. I remember when people raised each other up. And now in 2022, I'm finding it hard to recognize the world I live in. Yeah. I I feel that. And it is, um, it was a lot to process from every position and every situation, not my own, just all of the different puzzle pieces. It felt like a war zone and heartbreaks just for the survivors that endured and heartbreaks to those that saw counsel and maybe didn't receive it, right? I'm a survivor in professional wrestling. I almost didn't make it out of OVW for what happened to me. And it wasn't isolated. It was the brunt of it but I left because I couldn't allow that to name me. And it wouldn't have helped me personally uh, after so many years. So that's why I didn't say anything. And for those that were brave and said, you know, to change things around, right? My heart went out to them. I reached out to a lot of people. <laughs> I spent most of those days reaching out and being like, just letting you know I'm here. 
uh, I'm not licensed, but I'm here. <laughs> so I, I did a lot of that and it, it, some of it wasn't surprising. Uh, I was hoping for an elevation after it. I was hoping that those voices intending to stop that, 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 uh, that dance that seems that happens in entertainment and in most industries in various forms, right? It's every industry. It's just as we evolve from all that we identify as and try to elevate women as less than subservient or a subclass, subgender, right? all the various things that we all experience as a feminine energy. It's going to take time. So we might not see it yet, just yet. But they didn't see it when they were fighting for the right for us to vote. And I wasn't around then, but my mom did. She did some protests. She did that. <laughs> and I, I saw how it changed. And I, okay, and still pretty bad. And now we're here. And I think this is the overcorrection period. If, this is one of my thesis ideas, if we take all human lives, just all of them, and we say that's one human life from the start of man wherever we came from, the start of man to wherever we're about to get. And wherever we go until we're not human, right? Till we're wherever, whatever. I look at that as one huge story arc of one person. Like all of us are one thing that's experiencing life. We're all mirrors, we're all projections of each other. We're all there, we're all here experiencing to evolve ourselves, but we're all from one thing. If we're in a relationship with ourselves, and we had all of this dysfunction and it led to the boil and it's bust, we're overcorrecting because that's the nature of people, it's human nature. Get one end and then you go to the other and then we figure out that's too far. Can't say this, can't say that, can't. good. Now we know, so now we can kind of level out. And so hopefully in our life, in our lifetimes together, we'll be able to see a little bit more leveling out and a little bit more of the gentleman coming back however we want to express that. <laughs> when we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, we're going to talk a little bit more lighthearted with Solo Darling as we talk about what happens on the stage or the ring or performing of any kind when we return. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. Hi folks, Key Barrett here, and I've got a question for you. Do you think your wife or girlfriend makes the best decisions and you want to support her any way you can? Ladies, do you think your partner works best when they're told exactly what you want? You 
both might be looking for a female-led relationship. From mild to wild, these strong relationships have one thing in common, satisfaction. Read Surrender Submit Server on Audible, Kindle, and Paperback today to start your female-led journey, and good luck. Hello, all you dear listeners of this amazing show. My name is Anya, and I also have a podcast called Sexualchemy. And I would love for you to come discover what we're doing over in my little sliver of the world, talking about sex, our paths to figuring out our most authentic expressions, unshaming all aspects of it, and generally just creating community around people who want to explore whatever their most authentic sexual expression is. So I hope you enjoy listening. I hope you reach out and I hope you become part of my little community that I love so much. Join Anya for Sexual Alchemy and listen to my episode. It was an amazing interview. Sexual Alchemy with Anya, available where you get your podcasts. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please, remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Welcome back to the program. Joined by Solo Darling. Pro wrestler at one time, only fans person now, and a student of life all the time. I want to talk about your only fans in one case in particular. Your only fans <laughs> ad. Oh my gosh, that might be one of the funniest things I've ever seen because no. it was like it was a parody of the 1980s. Ads that you would see for View TV, the old scrambled picture on the television. Yes. Where did you come up with this idea? So, okay. Um, my brother, my best friend, DJ Weed Pizza, my roommate as well. And I walk into the living room and he goes, Hey, uh, how'd you feel about doing a thing? I was like, What? And he just showed me and I was like, oh yeah, like it, there was like no seller. He was like, okay, so what if we do that? Because I was thinking about what am I going to do for an OnlyFans commercial? I want to make one. I was just excited and zazz and I love making stuff, right? And I missed it. It had been so long. It had been since the Slurpee since I really made stuff. And he turned on like a, a compilation of ones. And it was crazy because some of them I had deja vu where I was like, remember that one he was like what if we did that yes like we got to work on it right away um he came home with the phone with the cord (laughs) and uh and it was just magic um recorded it all in one night and the editing for me took the longer because I don't I learn on the go so I do all my own stuff and so I didn't know how to use Final Cut. And I had to ask some friends to be like, hey, so what are these, what do the buttons do on Final <laughs> Cut? And help, I will buy dinner. Like, I don't know, exchange, exchange for energy. And so I got a couple tips on that. And then I 
turns out that actually when I filmed it all, I filmed it in like the wrong resolution mm-hmm. to do what I wanted to do with it, to make it to look gritty and all that. Right. And so I was like, oh my God. So I called my friend Snake and I was like, what? So he guided me through the process of like converting everything and then doing it. It, it was the hardest editing job of my life, but it was so worth it. <laughs> so worth it. we've been thinking about a second one and, and there's no spoilers, but I'm excited. Well, I, I think it's worth at least listening to the the soundtrack here, and then we'll also we'll also link to it uh, in the show notes. So yes, take a it. take a listen to this, and then I'll edit it in there. <laughs> yeah, because yes. it's just so funny. All right, we'll come back. Yeah, we'll come back from that. Oh my gosh, um, I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember being that 20-year-old look just waiting for the the picture just to be that good and it's like, oh my gosh. And you and again and I did it on my phone. Yeah. And and that oh geez, yeah. Yeah, and I tied it to the fan. So I tied I took <laughs> um I took my bathrobe, my bathrobe uh tie. Yeah, you know, and I um I had one of those pop socket thingies, and I slid it on there, and I put it on the wood paneling of my ceiling fan to take the top <laughs> shot, and I tied it around because I was afraid it would fall and like hit me in the head or in Audrey, and I didn't want any parts to fall, so I <laughs> and, and I kept having to see because I couldn't actually see myself in it, right? So I had to like just make sure that the thing wasn't covering the tiny camera hole to get That's that shot. Amazing. <laughs> Well, I'm guessing that your OnlyFans has a whole bunch of things that are just plain fun and just plain whatever you want them to be. If somebody goes there, what will they find? There is a plethora of content. I do indulge. Uh, I just finally made a menu where there are kinks there if you don't see your kink listed just dm me and let me know what it is and work it out so we can definitely do more of the sexy stuff i like to post a lot of butt pics in there (laughs) very proud of that asset and there's also how funny and awkward and weird sex can be um and i think that stuff's great i actually ran a campaign over the holiday to see how many people would be interested in sending me a suction cup dildo because uh, we had this idea to create a wall of them and stick them all on the wall. And then DJ Dub would play music and kind of like that light up game at Dave and Buster's. Mm-hmm. I would then play them all to make the song. So that's still a work in progress. Uh, my lovely fans have supported me. Now I have a three tier container system to hold all of the suction cup dildos. Some of them are very comically large and those are my favorite because they don't stay up, ironically, on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that kind of stuff. There's goofy stuff. Uh, all of the goofy and the funny are all a part of the subscription. I will never goose you in Arabia and then, you know, sell you something that's a, that's a goof. Uh, but I also do clean jokes uh, where I use one as a microphone in the shower and I tell dad jokes. <laughs> 
and that's one of my favorite things. I have so many recorded that I haven't uh, posted yet. I'm really into that. Uh, people on my OnlyFans get first access to things like On Recovery on Gardening, where you watch me try to not kill my plants, and On <laughs> Recovery on Location, which is the road back to whenever I want to wrestle or whatever I'm going to do next or join me in yoga. And I also share a lot of things that I do to rehab in case that helps anyone and what it was like rehabbing from a concussion. So I share my life through OnlyFans, um, including all the sexy bits, because dating me is also like dating the awkward, funny sex, as well as the hot sex. You got to get it all. Can't have one or the other. <laughs> and the joy of being able to put this out as content, it brings you joy as well. Because yes, you can see it for the sexy part that it is, if that's what you're going for. But oh my gosh, I would imagine people would be just so entertained by the wonderfulness that is you. Thank you. Yeah, I love this platform as a way to just express myself in any way and see what, what people are down for. I just started a book club where we're listening to my dad wrote a porno. I'm re-listening, I love that podcast. And uh, we'll discuss it and I will be making Belinda Blink themed inspired PPMs or videos or anything and giving that out as content just for fun. Uh, it's just amazing to be able to be creative in a way I am in real life, but always minded the corners of the universe for a tightly packaged crafted character within the squared circle. And then one day I was like, oh, I could be that and that. Yeah, I'm just going to do that. <laughs> Give me both. You like doing cosplay. And I know that COVID kind of shut down conventions, but that's something you enjoy doing too. And I can only imagine your imagination with that. I love cosplay. Yeah, I, I would love to get back into it, especially with friends that I had that started to do 3D printing and like, costumes started to get even wilder uh, so I definitely missed that I think the last thing I really did was I was Navi to my brother X who was like <laughs> <laughs> I'll send in a picture we look great I lit up like a Christmas tree of course all blue but it was great to be like hey listen because it's pretty much how our relationship goes <laughs> Is there a fantasy costume that you would love to have and do? Oh, um, not that I have it yet. But, oh, I do have Chun-Li and I love being Chun-Li. I always resonated with her ever since I was little because I was like, thighs, that's my girl. <laughs> that's it. I had thighs like four and so I was like, yes, you. Um probably more Marvel characters or Felicia from Darkstalkers. I mean, it's basically like white fur covering, you know, tit and tat, which would be amazing because I could probably get my hair that big and blue. So that would be a fun one, especially when I was wearing the tail. That was one I like really wanted to do because I was like, I can't wrestle in that, but maybe. Uh, so that would be a really good one. I makeshifted a wasp to be within my character with that. But I think having an official superhero suit, even if it's Thor, but that's my alarm for Thor. Even if it's like <laughs> female Thor, uh, like She-Hulk, 
like I just kind of want to be able to explore those and kind of revisit them since I never really got to do all of the cool spandex that kind of came out when MCU really took off Mm -hmm. right and all the costumes got like way hot but, <laughs> but I want to do that. <laughs> Solo, it has been more than an honor and pleasure to talk to you on this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your authentic self, being so vulnerable with us, and also giving us a lot to think about. I am looking forward to following your adventures as you move forward what's the best way for folks who are listening to follow your adventures oh thank you i mainly use instagram at regulation solo darling please join my only fans is onlyfans.com slash solo darling and if you want to check up on the boy which is our beautiful magnum for solomon jones he's at magnum agb and Magnum Thank is so, so much, much fun. He is. He's learning new tricks. It's very exciting. We'll post soon. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. We didn't get a chance to talk about the fact that he actually is trained in pro wrestling. It's true. <laughs> he can do a minute and a half match. His new finish is a double stop. We can do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that will be for a part two someday. Solo, thank you yes. so much. Thank you. That might have been one of my all-time favorite interviews. We talked for a while after the show, and I realized that she had not spoken about many of the things she brought up on the show. The courage it takes to stand up to what is wrong and to be strong for oneself is something we all need to learn. I admire her will and know she will be a huge success in her next chapter. Next week, on the show, it's a powerful presence from Philadelphia and Jersey, and one that lives up to her name. She's a dominatrix, sadist, fetish provider, and alternative sexuality consultant. Her name, Mia Action, and she joins us next week. And coming up in July, it's our summer listening spectacular with two shows a week, all month long to finish up our second season of the show. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit, thanking you for being with us and thanking Dating Kinky for being our presenter and their assistance in producing this show. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.